Hello, everybody. It's Rob here from Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades, reminding you that if you like our show and think we deserve some financial support for what we do, you can go to www.patreon.com slash trrpod to become a member. And if you don't want to, well, not a problem. Just ignore that strange feeling you have, that tingling on the back of your neck, that sinking feeling that someone is right behind you, watching, always watching. Anyway, hold fast and enjoy the show. You smell different when you sleep. Alright, so before we start the story today, before we start the episode, I just want to check. Is everybody okay? Is everybody in one piece? Is everybody functional? Maybe. <laughs> it's it's been technically a... I'm better than I was. Yeah. Uh, I have two broken toes on my left foot. I have a broken finger on my right hand. <laughs> oh, but other right. than that, okay. like mechanically, I'm probably more messed up than I am every other way, which is really saying something. Yeah. My my bruises are gone. I'm I'm out of out of the 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 the, the wrist. Uh, Oh, yeah, your brace. Wraps, you didn't have like a brace. sling. Your brain sounds like it's doing great. Uh, to, uh, Welcome to the club, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Rob's car exploded and my brain exploded. I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Doctor uh, says I'm much better now. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle's Kyle's the picture of health, and Keith is the picture of Keith. Keith's Keith's vet finally had him fixed, so he's really <laughs> he's really settled down. <laughs> I mean, it's. The only person at this table, I think the only person at this table who actually was fixed. Price is so wrong, far. Bob. <laughs> so far. But uh, yeah, it's been a, uh, thank you for bearing with the, the, the gap. It's been a, it's been a fair, old, uh, fair old moment since we're all healthy enough to put a podcast together. Right. And that podcast is Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades, everybody. Welcome. I'm Rob North. I am your co-host, Chris Miller. I'm Kyle Graper. And we are happy to welcome back a uh, faithful contributor and friend of the show, Keith Volhop. Keith, how you doing? I'm doing good. Healthier than all of you all. <laughs> that, that is true. <laughs> uh, that bar is that, low. That's not the slam you think it is, Keith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to catch you all up, if you don't know, uh, Chris had some, some health issues. Uh, I, was in a, I was in a pretty gnarly car accident. Uh, I was, l- frankly, lucky to walk away from. Uh, you know, Kyle, you saw the damage. You saw how hard that guy hit me. Um, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it was real bad. It was, it was pretty gnarly. So uh, the fact that I'm here doing the podcast today, I'm putting that one in the W column. But uh, yeah, thank you for bearing with us, and we are happy to be back in the kitchen putting down some spicy, spicy content. And that spicy content today, this, this one's going to be fun. Uh, if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast or if you've binged us in rapid succession over a short time, you'll have noticed that we do a couple of, uh, we do a couple different types of full-length episodes. We either sit down together and tell a story of a person or an event or a part thereof if we're doing a longer series, or we will do a little compilation like we do for our Halloween episodes where we all take the time to record a short story of our own and then smash everything together in the editing suite to bring you that uh, those delicious spooky tales that you like. Now, but today's going to be a little bit of a hybrid of the two where the four of us are sitting down to present a few shorter stories about several, uh, several different individuals, all of whom have one thing in common today. We're talking about popes behaving badly. Now, it's a simple fact that the Catholic Church has been no stranger to scandal in modern times, but very little of that has to do with the actions of the popes themselves. As a matter of fact, I'm of the belief that some of the more modern popes, especially the current one, are pretty 
seem to be pretty decent dudes. But as you go back into history, you'll find that the role of the church in power and politics changes significantly. And during the Middle Ages, there was no, no organization that wielded more power and influence. And as we've learned to a greater or lesser extent, power always corrupts. That makes itself known here in the actions of some of the worst men to take the position of, of Bishop of Rome, the Pontifex Maximus, the main conduit between God and man, the Pope. Today, we're just going to discuss a small selection of horrifying holy fathers and pervy pontiffs and the actions, behaviors, and excesses that made them go down in history as some of the most egregious bad boys around, made all the worse because of the moralistic demands of the organization at which they sat atop. Now, I also want to state right now that while I think that uh, the four of us all have our own issues with organized religion in some form over the course of our lives. We're not out here to offend any of our Catholic listeners. I mean, hell, our own uh, co-host, Mike Lernett, is a faithful, practicing Catholic. But Mike's a man who knows his history, and he would certainly agree that in the history of Holy Mother Church, some of the pontiffs that sat at its head did some things that would make you say, Holy Mother. So, for our friends out there that grew up Catholic and no longer practice or have Catholic family members or are still part of the church to this day, we're going back hundreds of years for these tales and getting the what-the-fuck stories from history that you will love so much, and remember that the behavior of these men is not a reflection upon you or your faith. So as we, as we say to anyone of any faith, it's if it's what gets you through the day and allows you to continue going about this weird, messed up world of ours, carry on. Just don't let it turn you into an asshole. Speaking of assholes, though, the popes we're going to talk about certainly were just that, and there are some sources that we'd like to acknowledge that helped us find out just how bad they were. My sources for today are The Popes, A History by John Julius Norwich, a very renowned historian. This thing was a, uh, I would describe it as a weighty tome uh, without the uh, footnotes, 1,300 pages. Did I read the entirety of this book? Absolutely not. I was pulling out from selections, but I also have The Bad Popes by E. Russell Chamberlain and Saints and Sinners, a history of the popes by Eamon Duffy. Gentlemen, any sources you would like to share? Sure. I, I, I really like Bad Popes. Yeah. It's very good. It is a very entertaining read. Yeah, it's it's definitely done. There there is a wink and a grin to a lot of those stories. Mm -hmm. So if you do want something that's it's not pedantic, it's not trying to make anybody feel bad, it's not holier than thou, it's very funny. And some of it is unintentionally just fucking hilarious, and he really leans into that. Yeah. Uh my sources are all over the place. Uh quite a few uh Catholic-produced podcast, uh, a few uh, direct Catholic sources, such as... Uh, from William Catholic Wikipedia. Online. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Catholic Online. Uh, also, uh, Benedict the Ninth and Gregory the Sixth by Reginald Poole. Hey, I have uh, two sources. Keepers of the Keys, A History of the Popes from St. Peter to John Paul II by Nicholas Cheatham. And a history of the popes from Peter to the present, John W. O'Malley from the Society of Jesus. Cool, 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 cool. So we have both. It sounds like we have uh, both religious and temporal sources. So I think we're getting a variety of perspectives. I quite like that. And uh, gentlemen, shall we delve into the naughty popes without further ado? Let's. All right, and we will begin with the story of Pope John the Twelfth. Now, it's safe to say that in the 10th century, Europe was in a bit of a state. Now, most of the nations as we know them today simply didn't exist. The great empire of Charlemagne was over a century gone, and France, Germany, and Italy, and most of the smaller nations of modern Europe besides, were all various duchies, principalities, and mini-states ruled by semi-feudal warlords. 
Now, England was a fairly unified kingdom, but even for them, their territory was half under Viking rule, and they were having problems with the Scots, the Welsh, and the Cornish. Nothing has changed. Now, Russia and Poland were just starting to come together as nations and were fighting amongst themselves as much as each other, and most of the Eastern Europe, uh, most of Eastern Europe more resembled the steppe empires of itinerant horse tribes and raiders than actual nation-states. The only really organized kingdom was the Byzantine Empire, and they were, even they were on a significant backslide, completely broke, and reeling after centuries of on-and-off war with the Muslim powers in the Middle East. The Holy Roman Empire in Central Europe was hailing itself as the savior of Christendom, to reunite Europe under the banner of Holy Mother Church, but the empire part of that was a bit of a misnomer, as it was more a disparate collection of allied duchies spread across disconnected territory under the leadership of whoever was a little more powerful than everybody else. So that leaves the one possible unifying factor left in play, the Catholic Church and the papacy. Surely, through the common connective thread among all these nations was enough to unite them, at least in purpose, right? Not even close, and it's thanks to the bloody-mindedness, hedonism, and greed of the man who would become John Twelfth, a man who was proof that smashing religious and temporal power together is never a good idea. John Twelfth's rule was so bad that he stood out in as the ultimate expression of a period that became known as the Saculum Obscurum, the Dark Century, but also known as the Rule of Harlots, or for a truly epic title, the Pornocracy. Let's go! Now, he was born in 930 AD under the name Octavianus and was the son of Alberic II of Spoleto, the self-styled Prince of Rome, and either Alberic's stepsister, Alda of Vienne, daughter of Hugh, the so-called, quote, King of Italy, which meant that he was basically in charge of parts of Tuscany, and that's about it, or an unnamed concubine, depending on which source you believe. His name, after the famed Roman emperor, shows you how the family saw itself, even though they had rule over the city of Rome and not much more. He entered the church at a young age, possibly around 12 or 13, and by his early teens, he was a full-fledged priest, which in itself was unusual, but also unusual was the fact that he was Alberic's oldest son and set to inherit the princedom of Rome. However, it soon became clear that his placement in the church was to expand upon the prince of Rome's power, as in the late 940s, when Octavianus was still only a teenager, but by now the deacon of the largest Catholic basilica in Italy... Alberic had the noble council of Rome, who in the 10th century had the privilege of electing the pope, swear an oath that they would elect his son as pope when the current pontiff, Agapetus II, died. And by had them swear an oath, I meant he forced them all to do it at sword point. In late 954, Alberic II died, and Octavianus became the prince of Rome, and then a year later, in November of 955 AD, Agapetus II met his end, and Octavianus was elected unanimously to the office of Bishop of Rome. Pope of the Holy Mother Church at the tender age of only 24 years old. Yeah, but that's like 85 in those years. I, he was young for Pope. He, he, he already had 247 children by that time. <laughs> As was tradition. As was tradition. Now, he did not have to abdicate his previous title upon accession either. Taking the name John Twelfth, he used this regnal name for all of his church business, but still conducted all of his temporal matters under his old name and would continue to do so for the rest of his life. Now, it didn't take long for John to use the power of his state to go to war. Is that like when I have all my problematic takes on the internet under a screen name, but then use my real name for business? What screen name is that? Ah, almost got me that time. <laughs> Ron Mexico. I'm going <laughs> to... Pierre you Delecto. still can't buy that Pierre jersey Delecto, on yeah, NFL.com. No, oh no, that's, they won't even let you into a stadium if you have one. Oh, it makes me yeah. so sad. Yep. Now, John XII launched and personally led a... Pierre Delecto. 
<laughs> Man, what a great... And he just came out and said it. Yeah. Like, he never... I don't think anybody ever outed him. He was like, oh, yeah, I had a burner. <laughs> so, uh, so, binders full of burners. Yeah. So, he, so John the Twelfth. God damn it! John the Twelfth launched and personally led a series of attacks against many of the Southern Italian duchies, like Benevento and Capua, to reclaim them for the Papal States and also for the Princedom of Rome. Now he lost, and at the same time managed to drain both the Papal coffers and those of his Princedom. Now, in order to fill his treasury back up, he placed punishing taxes on the Roman people and his noble council, causing them to hate him and to seek help to try and depose him. In 960 AD, King Berengar II of Italy, also still just a part of Tuscany, who was John's cousin, launched a war against him with the help of the Roman nobles, and it looked like John's rule was going to be quite short. So he went looking for help, and he found it in the form of Otto I, King of Germany, and self-proclaimed Holy Roman Emperor. He promised to finally give papal backing to the title of Holy Roman Emperor in exchange for an alliance, and Otto traveled to Rome at the head of an army and was officially crowned by John swearing an oath of allegiance thus, quote, To thee, the Lord Pope John, I, King Otto, promise and swear by the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, by the wood of the life-giving cross, and by these relics of the saints, that if by the will of God I come to Rome, I will exalt to the best of my ability the Holy Roman Church and you its ruler. And never with my will or at my instigation shall you lose life or limb or the honor which you possess." And without your consent, never within the city of Rome will I hold a plea or make any regulation which affects you or the Romans. Whatever territory of St. Peter comes within my grasp, I shall give up to you. And to whomsoever I shall entrust the kingdom of Italy, I will make him swear to you to help as far as he can to defend the lands of St. Peter. End quote. <clears throat> to John Twelfth, this meant taking his newfound military ally, pointing Otto at his enemies, and letting him go. Now, Otto went on a rampage through Italy on behalf of his new patron, and John hoped that for the rest of his reign there would be a German army in Italy raiding, pillaging, and laying siege to anyone who would challenge him. Now, in the midst of all this warfare and political intrigue, John XII still did find time to conduct some church business, and established over 20 new archbishoprics and bishoprics throughout Central and Southern Europe, all of which he filled with his backers, who would not only solidify his authority, but conduct intrigue on his behalf against the other crowned heads of Europe but it wasn't just church business that John XII got up to. Throughout his reign and in Chronicles After, everyone that wrote about him made no bones about the fact that he loved to fuck. He had a habit of betting sex workers, maids, servants, but especially the wives of Roman nobles, which didn't do him any favors in the popularity department. Now, he was renowned for the money he spent on lavish banquets, which he combined with decadent after-parties and a Hellfire Club-esque one-two punch of food and sexual debauchery. Now, one thing we know for sure, despite all the headaches he had with the political situation in Italy, he was having a very, very good time. However, things turned for John, <clears throat> and surprise, it was his own ego what done did it. On Valentine's Day, 962, before leaving Rome to conduct a military campaign against some of John's enemies, Holy Roman Emperor Otto I made a suggestion to John in private council that he give up his libertine worldly lifestyle. This incensed John so much that he immediately began desiring Otto's downfall, but fearing his power and his military skill, he sent envoys to the Byzantine Empire, to the Hungarian Magyars, and to all of Otto's enemies in Italy to form an alliance against him. Otto's forces captured all of these envoys, and he returned to Rome to see what the Pope was up to. Now, learning as he approached that his old enemy Berengar II of Italy was in Rome, consulting with John XII against him, Otto besieged the Holy City in spring of 963. 
Now, John XII led the defense of the city, but knowing he was outmatched, he disguised himself as an ordinary soldier and fled to Tivoli, 30 miles away. Otto then summoned a council and demanded that John attend to defend himself against a variety of charges, including abuse of papal authority, sodomy, and incest. Now, John responded by issuing a We should get a counter up for these. Hang on. Sodomy and incest. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see how often these things pop up. So, sodomy... Is it one? (laughs) Incest. What's the line we're drawing for incest? Well, there's four of us here, so I'm going to set it at three and a half. (laughs) (laughs) I meant familiar uh, level. Like, we counting cousins or just... uh... Well, I, I mean, mean it, that's, I, like, that's I don't think any of, most of these chronicles don't go that specific. No, so it doesn't say give it time. It doesn't it say time. who I mean, or where. It is. <laughs> it is technically royalty, so we know there there was a lot of yeah, do, not much crossover it, going on there. It really wasn't that uh, weird when I your guess. family tree is a two by four. Yikes! <laughs> so uh, don't forget uh, abuse of papal authority, though. That's. Uh, that might also be a recurring theme. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to throw a I mean, simony under what, sodomy, too. What we're doing here. Simony's definitely going to be up there. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep this list going. But yeah. right now, um, uh, well, I didn't, I, I, my research was pretty poor. Simony's when you do sodomy with a Simon like game the, the from game. the 90s, yes, right? Yeah, boop, boop, yep. boop. Well, yes, that well, one. well, no. Oh, it's, I it's, thought it was Simon Says Poke Here. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Michael Myers doing the Simon character from Old Simon Saturday Night Lights. <laughs> Simon <laughs> Says I Stop Crying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yay. John XII responded to these charges by issuing a bull of excommunication against everyone in attendance, so the council responded by deposing him and electing a new pope, Leo VIII, in his stead, who had the full backing of the Holy Roman Emperor. John then secretly engineered a revolt in Rome against Otto and his puppet Pope before promptly heading off on a hunting trip in the mountains, leaving the revolt to be put down with dreadful loss of life by Otto and his soldiers. However, Otto made a mistake. He left Rome to conduct a campaign in the south, and John and his entourage just happily re-entered the city and drove off Leo VIII and captured, blinded, and castrated most of his secretaries and deacons, then held a synod determining Leo's election to be uncanonical and illegitimate, although chroniclers tell of John's use of the threat of assassination against those present if they didn't do his bidding. He was, again, the effective ruler of Rome. So, Otto came back and besieged Rome once again in the spring of 964. However, there wasn't long to wait for the situation to resolve itself. Despite his city and the papacy itself being under direct assault, John couldn't resist the chance to get some fucking done, and according to the chroniclers, it was with I think that's the second time we've said get some fucking done on this. Not in this episode, but on this specific uh, podcast, which I think is great. Yeah. And uh, according to the chroniclers, it was with the wife of one of his council members. However, this was John's final mistake. On the 14th of May, 964, after only nine years as pontiff, but an eventual nine years at that, Pope John XII, a.k.a. Octavianus, Prince of Rome, died at the age of 33 whilst in the middle of coitus, either as the result of an apoplexy, a.k.a. a stroke, or at the hands of an outraged husband who discovered the mid-shag, depending on which source you believe. He was buried in the Lateran Palace and was succeeded by another Roman noble who was elected Pope Benedict V, although he would be deposed by Otto after only a month and replaced with the formerly deposed Leo VIII, and so would begin a series of short papacies and quick changeovers that only served to enhance the chaos that marked John XII's reign. Now, 19th century uh, German historian Ferdinand Gregovius wrote uh, the following about John, which I think sums him up pretty well, but is a little 
too kind towards him. Quote, John's princely instincts were stronger than his taste for spiritual duties, and the two natures, that of Octavianus and that of John XII, stood in unequal conflict. Called as he was in the immaturity of youth to a position which gave him claims on the reverence of the world, his judgment deserted him, and he plunged into the most unbridled sensuality. The Lateran Palace was turned into an abode of riot and debauchery. The gilded youths of the city were his daily companions. The, sons of the, the son of the glorious Alberic thus fell a sacrifice to his own unbridled passion and to the anomalous position which he held as prince and pope at the same time. His youth, the greatness of his father, the tragic discords of his position, claim for him a lenient judgment. Although papal historian Horace Mann is not nearly so charitable, stating simply, quote, There cannot be a doubt that John XII was anything but what a pope, the chief pastor of Christendom, should have been. End quote. <laughs> and that's oh, the story of John XII. I, I mean, I, I kind of want a pope that, you know, gets into it. <laughs> I, I don't mind the idea of a party pope. Just think of all the popes out there just... Going into each other. <laughs> That's what I'm about. I've, I've seen that. Documentary. That's in a different timeline. I've seen that movie. Uh, the, but it's the, weird. Like imagine if, like imagine if Francis the First was also prime minister of Italy. Let's go. I mean, not that Italian politics isn't chaotic, but yeah, everything's going just fine now. Oh, I don't they're, see doing, they're doing great. Uh, historically, they've always been great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. It didn't even go well whenever it was Rome. Like no. whenever it was just it, like it was even shit then, <laughs> and they were just in charge of everything. <laughs> Do you realize like how much you have to like doing wiener stuff to get your entire legacy called the pornocracy? That's so good though. Like what a legacy! Yeah, that is a life well lived. Correct. Like, when you and look honestly, up from like, your fiery not... pit or whatever. Uh, as far as it's I know, only of. one of the popes is actually in hell in a document, according to this, and it's mine. It's not mine. <laughs> also, the rule of harlots. Like, <laughs> that's cool. It's a great name. That's that's a, that's the name of a ghost concept album. It's great. There There is a band called the Rule of Harlots. Uh, is there one called the Pornocracy? Because we're starting a band if there isn't. I'm going to Google it. I don't, I don't want to know. And I'm not going to be mad are. at all with what comes up. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> But uh, Chris, you made mention of uh, of your guy being the official, the only pope who's officially in hell. Yeah, I got I got the hell one. Well, at least the weekend we have it on paper. I think it might be time for us to hear that story. But Over uh, to Chris Miller for the story of Boniface the Eighth. Gather round, dear friends. Let me tell you about a humble Benedetto Gaetani. Uh, he was a relatively, <laughs> hey! relatively obscure. Uh, came from a relatively obscure, but wealthy family of lawyers with ties to the papacy. Uh, he ended up succeeding Pope Celestine V, who had abdicated from the papal throne. A quick nod uh, to him. Um, one of the few edicts that still remain today uh, was his confirmation of the right uh, of the Pope to resign. Mm. Uh, and a week later, he just did. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Uh, he turns out that he was like a weird hermit. By the way, and you he, can leave this job. You don't have to die in office. Uh, speaking of which. Yeah, if you're just not vibing, <laughs> you can just go do whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then he did. Well, at least he tried to. Uh, he was a hermit. He wanted to return to this like very Spartan lifestyle. Turns mm-hmm. out being Pope really wasn't his thing. So uh, as soon as he did, he was jailed by Pope Boniface VIII, uh, the title <laughs> that uh, Benedetto Gaetani did uh, end up uh, taking. Um there is such a thing as an anti-pope. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. And he didn't want him to do that. <laughs> so he just like kept him in jail until he died. We're going to hear so, a little bit more about so, anti-popes with our yeah. final story. So did he at least get his own cell? Like if he had solitary confinement, that's what he wanted it's, in the first place. Yeah, you place. played right into his hands, you yeah, idiot. You yeah. dumb idiot. That's what Batman did in Dark Knight. And look how that worked out. Huh, <laughs> I'm a hermit anyway. <laughs> yeah, Heath Ledger's dead. And that's what Batman wanted. <laughs> Joke's on you, fucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> turns out, turns out the killing joke was real. Just happened off camera <laughs> uh, with drugs. Mm. Mm. Uh, he did like to involve himself in a lot of uh, a, a lot of things that happened outside of the papacy, mostly outside of the Vatican. Um, a lot of involvement in France, which we will definitely touch on. Uh, Southern Italian politics, he was big on Sicilian politics. Mm-hmm. He was directly involved in the first Scottish War of Independence. Oh yeah. Fairly heavily. We won't talk about those now, but um, he really had a lot of beef with France because Pope Philip, or I'm sorry, King Philip, not Pope Philip. Um, not did, yet. He owned the right. <laughs> he he was the ruler of the largest and most powerful nation. So of course these two are going to to start to butt heads. What's our time frame here? Uh, this is 1296. So we're talking King Philip the Fourth. This of is the France? fourth. This is the fourth. Also known as King Philip the Fair. And it was because he was just so hot. Cute. Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> King Philip the Fourth was a hottie. Le roi du dreamboat. Uh. He he wanted to reinforce that the like this the, France had become less of a nation and more of a nation state, uh, and Boniface said, "Okay, cool. You're all paying taxes. Like your clergy owes me money, and you are not allowed to be in any form of legal administration whatsoever. This is going to go just fine. <laughs> Philip's just going to love this. Like a fart in a crowded right. elevator. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't all bad in 1290 or um, so, yeah, 1298." Um, he organizes canon law in the Liber Sextus. It is still referenced today by canon lawyers, and I have a quote here from uh, Harold J. Berman in the book Law and Revolution. Mm-hmm. It is the system of laws and ecclesiastical legal properties made and enforced by the hierarchical authorities of the Catholic Church to regulate its external organization and government in order to <clears throat> uh, direct the activities of Catholics towards the mission of the Church. It is the first modern Western legal system. So it's, it's essentially a church constitution. Yeah, very for much lack so. Of a better way of describing. Very it. much so. And and the way that constitutional attorneys reference things today, uh, canon lawyers in the Vatican still reference it, which mm-hmm. is kind of a cool thing that he did. Whenever he just wasn't being in everybody else's fucking business because he was just a weirdo. Uh, so he's clashing with uh, Philip the Fourth over taxation, and they reach a compromise. And basically, all this is is Philip biding his time and not saying anything just to kind of placate the Pope. So now that, you know, and, and what's what's the, the, the joke? Like, once you don't have any any more enemies, you go find new ones? Yep. Um, he is turning his, his ire now on the Colonna fact, the, the family. They were the rival family in Florence. Um, they had two cardinals, Giacomo and Pietro. He deposed and excommunicated both of them. Uh, calls on an actual crusade, start seizing all of their lands, all of their money by force, because the Pope has a whole ass army at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and, and it's, it's he is seizing multiple castles. Uh, eventually, the, the Colonna fa- the, the family they surrender uh, and they show up shoeless, penitent. They shave their heads. 
Uh, and this is whenever they are laying siege to Palestrina. It is the last of their holdings. Um, so Boniface accepts, Boniface VIII accepts their surrender, and that's the end of it. Except it's not, because he burned the city down, had all of their lands turned over, and salted the earth so nothing would grow there ever again. I think my favorite <laughs> Jesus lesson from the Sermon on the Mount was definitely turn the other cheek so you can pick your sword up and then stab that guy in the throat. Oh, we're going to talk about Jesus and swords here in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so he, so it was a, basically a family dispute Correct. that he then right, throws because the entire the corona, papal the, army behind and goes full Cartago Delenda Est on them. It's an actual crusade. Yeah. It is a full-on crusade. He sacks cities, he takes castles, he takes strongholds, murders people, sells people into slavery, and then ultimately Which burns... you're not supposed to do to Christians under Catholic canon law at the time. Excommunicated. Unless... Not Christians. Unless... <laughs> oh, it's such a... Oh, you declared a, a crusade against them, because there was mm-hmm. another pope who did this to Venice not long after. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boniface also called for the Jubilee in the year 1300. Uh, he forgot until February, but don't worry, because... Uh, <laughs> Uh, he did call it retroactive whenever he issued the, the papal bull. What day is it? Oh, shit. He was like, oh, <laughs> I thought you guys knew, too, that this was fine. And the papal jubilee uh, said that uh, every 50 years, all the slaves would be liberated, every debt would be forgiven, uh, and the poor would be given the profits of the sale of church goods. Uh, except they didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they did do is invite everybody to Rome to come into all of the churches and buy indulgences. So there were, it's estimated 250,000 people came to Rome for this. They had to, Jesus. they had to meter uh, the amount of traffic over bridges because there were so many people they were getting knocked off. I mean, yeah, because the population of Rome at this time is only about 60,000. Right. Yeah, that would be like if 40 million people went to New York City. Sweet. What a Super Bowl that would be. Um, <laughs> oh, LaGuardia is rough at the best of times. Jesus. But there was a windfall of indulgences. It did work. Uh, the They had clerics at all of the altars with rakes to rake up Gosh. all of the money. Yes. Because people were just, there were so many people, you really couldn't get in. So they're just chucking cash and hoping that that buys their way into heaven. So they hold, so they hold this this jubilee mm-hmm. as, and, and go out there saying, this is for you, for the poor, for the penitent, for the needy. And it ends up just being a big fundraiser. More or less. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. That's okay. a fairly harmless way of putting it. Because cool. like, eh. oh, that's deeply disgusting. Um, so we uh, still have the indulgence tier on our Patreon yeah. if uh, you need uh, to buy your way into heaven. Correct. Now the church doesn't do this kind of thing anymore, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. What did we What did we find out? The last one was in uh, two thousand. And, and that one was just indulgences. And this one. And the next one's planned for twenty twenty five. But it doesn't say anything that it is like indulgence forward on that one. It it, it still is uh, like pro indulgence, but it is uh, it now holds no yeah. no mention of slaves being liberated, debts being forgiven, or the poor given the profits of sale of church goods. Mm. Here's ten thousand for your debts. Now give us twelve thousand to get into heaven. But during the jubilee, Boniface failed to notice one very important thing, and it's that no kings, no rulers of any other European country came to Rome. Not one. Mm. It kind of signals the end of like this weird, I don't really want to call it a delicate piece, because it was just kind of Philip waiting. Uh, so there, th- this relationship is starting to fracture. Well, now, 
Uh, he gives Charles II, uh, a prince, uh, permission to sack Muslim and Jewish cities in Puglia uh, to pay off Florentine banks. He was short on cash, so he was like, you know what? We did, uh, and this was whenever Fever- uh, Frederick II had moved a Muslim population, the Italian Muslim population, uh, largely peacefully, it should be noted. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't at sword point. Uh, they did settle them in southern Italy, and this is in 1268. Uh, Charles II, not quite so peacefully, whenever he led his armed forces. Um, the wealthiest families did convert. Uh, if you did not convert, uh, you were sold into slavery or potentially worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this also goes for the uh, the Jewish cities as well. Or better, and this is because he needed their stuff. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a pretty decent point. Yeah, I was say, he needed their stuff to pay off Florentine banks. Sweet. So what's happening in Florence? Um, the the Guelphs defeated the Ghibellines, which is such a satisfying word to say. These were the like the two parties. This mm-hmm. is um, less Democrat Republican, more Montague Capulet. Yeah, uh, it was less about politics and more about civil war. Um, the the Guelphs defeated the Ghibellines. Um, and then the Guelphs, because they didn't have anybody to fight, and as we talked about earlier, you just find the next person, uh, they split into two factions. There were the Black Guelphs, uh, those were the the wealthy landed gentry, uh, and the White Guelphs, those were the popular classes. They favored independence uh, for Florence, and they tended to be like the new money. This is starting to sound a little less like Montagues and Capulets and more like uh, John Gotti and Big Paul. It is now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now this is like the, the Guelphs, at least internally. Um so the blacks reached out to Boniface, and ultimately they become like the champions of papal authority. Uh, and this isn't just for Florence or Firenze. This is all. This is all of Tuscany. They're basically giving Tuscany to the Pope. Um, Charles of Valois was brought in as a as a peacemaker, which was a great idea because he just exiled every single white Guelph. That was his. That's the way that he solved this crime. This. Uh, Delicate situation. That's one way to do it. And one of them uh, was a poet on a diplomatic mission actually to see Pope Boniface whenever the news came down. A poet by the name of Dante Alighieri uh, famously wrote ah. uh, the, divine, the Divine Comedy. Uh, and if you have read uh, any of Dante's works, he saves him a spot. Uh, he is, Boniface <laughs> is, not, he is not in hell. Um, but his advisors are talking about how they're waiting for him. And it's just, he's never, it's never by name. All of the people that he knew are mentioned by name. And they're talking about uh, like the great deceiver and all of these things, like all of the things that it's clearly for him. And yeah. none of them will look Dante in the eye. They are so shamed by what Boniface did that he wrote in his book that he saves him a spot in hell. <laughs> so in the Inferno, Boniface isn't that, well, I mean, he's dead now, so yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, because he was contemporary, he was not. It it, it really has to be um, harpened on how much the Divine Comedy really is just the burn book. That's all it is. Someone yeah, it who is. could write pretty well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I mean, it, I would say probably better than pretty well. It, it is. <laughs> it's 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 the same. Since we still read it in its entirety, the way it was written, which is absolutely. I read fascinating. it about three years ago. It's actually very, right, it's very, very good. It's it's fantastic, and it's 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 flame war material on a level with Luther's ninety five theses. Really, it's just hidden mm-hmm. in more artistic prose. Sure, and less likely to get you killed, I suppose. And it's, more artistic license. Yeah. It's at this point where Pope Boniface decided that 
all this papal authority is pretty sweet. Like, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this. Um, I'm going to have complete authority over every monarch. And now, the most powerful monarch in Europe, uh, Prince Philip IV, Prince Philip the Hot, uh, disagrees. <laughs> Uh, he is currently sheltering the Kelowna fugitives. <laughs> King Philip the Ten the Fourth, and ends up taking a bishop hostage. Whenever uh, I mean the dog stays for him, right? I mean, who isn't? Uh, <laughs> in thirteen, 13- well, well, well played, Kyle. Wait, <laughs> way to keep that one off the blooper reel. <laughs> I, the dog only gets thirsty whenever we podcast. That We're talking true. about hot French blondes. Philip the Thirst Trap. <laughs> uh, in 1301, Pope Boniface issues a papal bull, which I, we keep saying this word. We we didn't say what it was. It's it's an official edict yeah. from the Pope. It's this is what I'm saying, and now it's a law. Um, this one is called the Asculta Fili. It literally means, "Listen, son." <laughs> <laughs> it today's Pope papal message. Uh, Listen, you little shit. <laughs> Uh, it is it is available in its entirety, in its Latin entirety. Uh, if you want to check it out, go nuts. Uh, I'm not the only, the only big takeaways here is one. It is called "Listen, Son." Uh, it I don't is, know what the Latin is for. Guess what, fuckers? Yeah. <laughs> it is directed at Philip because it mentions him over and over again. It basically like yells at him. Uh, but it is the assertion of complete papal supremacy. So Philip releases the bishop, and this is like a political maneuver. It, it, it appears that he has capitulated. But he releases his own bull. It is a forged, completely doctored papal bull. And it's just... it. He's, he releases his own and gives it to the French aristocracy, and all it is is just papal interference. Alternative facts. Right. He forges <laughs> a new one. And distributes it. And the French aristocracy is furious. So. (laughs) (laughs) What's uh, this bull say? It says, Romans go home. In response, he releases the. (laughs) You're not my real dad. (laughs) He he already called him son. (laughs) So now in in 1302, he releases. It's not a phase. (laughs) This is just who I am. Ah, they're French. (laughs) They're. They all just kind of look emo. They're very tall. They're thin. Yeah. They smoke cigarettes. I was going to say, it's it's interesting thinking of the idea of a very, very powerful med- medieval king, but everything he does, he just does while smoking a Galois Blanc. <laughs> he had a beret on, uh, a, red, a red handkerchief tied around his neck, and he was holding a baguette. Yeah. Uh, he releases the Unum Sanctum Bull in 1302 in response. This is, he now officially declares there is one church, one leader, who has absolute power over every single living thing. <laughs> Makes sense to me, right? I, sure. So it uses the, the two swords gospel interpretation. Now, this is an interpretation uh, wherein uh, Jesus says, if you have a sword, that's good. If you don't, sell your stuff, buy a sword. And then it ends with a very important line. And it's not, it's less about the swords, even though I did tell you that's what it was going to be. The interpretation is because Jesus says, that's enough. The interpretation is, that's enough? Or that's enough? So now, <laughs> according to the book of Matthew, Peter lops off a soldier's ear. Mm. And Jesus says, put your sword away. 
Now, Boniface said, your means, like, your sword, Peter. Like, it is your sword, Peter. The Pope is the descendant of Peter. So the Pope owns all the swords. (laughs) These are my swords. Because, like, he has one. Now there's two swords involved, but because one is for Jesus and one is for Paul, but he's also Paul. Like, he owns them all. This is, like, better call Saul shit. I drink your milkshake. And anyone who disagrees with him, excommunicated. So, Philip disagreed and is excommunicated in 1304. Philip now charges the Pope with... But Simony. <laughs> Put that on the list. There's one. Uh, sodomy. There's another one. Uh, murder. Oh, that's, that's new. That's a new one. Murder. Uh, one. Uh, where are we at here? Theft. Do I have theft? No, it's just incest. Uh, incest. There's two. It's <laughs> good to say uh, that's not a word authority. I thought just would proceed. There's another one. So theft is one. Uh, and there's a new one on here. Uh, <laughs> This is, I think it's because it's a literal translation. Uh, he charges him with magic. <laughs> I, I think what he means is like kind of like sorcery witchcraft, yeah. but it is just magic. <laughs> so, so we've got this great, guy. great, 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 but let's great, go back great, to great, great father of cursed angels just getting crucified in the background. But Philip, uh, and this is uh, at a conference they're having in the Louvre. Uh, he is supported by two bishops. Uh, these were two Roman bishops. They were Colonna bishops. Oh, of course. <laughs> who fled. Uh, and so the family that had a, an axe to grind correct. with the Pope. Um, and Guillaume de Nogaret, one of his uh, advisors, who you will probably hear about more on this podcast. Oh, that dude, this dude is He is player. likely the one who did forge the document. Who likely did it himself. Um, just keep starting shit. Is walking around to people being like, hey, you hear Boniface? He wants to take all your stuff. Like, yeah, you know, when your mom died, it was him. Just, like, just whispering in people's ears that all the bad things in their life were shit that he did. And he continues this on through, like, this this first conference. And, again, into a posthumous trial that we will talk about later. So but, it just starts worm-tonguing everybody. Very much so. It's less worm-tonguing, more just, like, just straight-up lying. Like, at least, like, Grima Wormtongue kind of had a name here. He was trying yeah. to, like, he was just being a dick. Because he just liked being a dick. Like, I don't know if there was any cleverness here. I want to go back to Philip being excommunicated, though. Because mm-hmm. I believe at this time, if a king was excommunicated, all of his subjects were excommunicated as well. Correct. Mm-hmm. So by excommunicating Philip, he excommunicated <laughs> France. France. The idea that France. God looks Unless- down and just... Doesn't see France, <laughs> but it's but it, we can all only hope that's it's not entirely true because if you if you said you didn't like him, you were good. Okay, it was to sow discord there, but uh, but no, I mean you're, you're both correct, gentlemen, to put it that way because yeah. well, I, I understand the whole God looking down, not seeing France thing. It makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> uh, what's the last thing they gave to society? Gerard Depardieu, and he's like seventy. Like that's it. He's just a bag of wine now. Yeah, before that, it was like the miniskirt. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And the uh, bikini. Yeah. We talked about this in another... Which one came first? All right, we're not allowed to talk bad about France anymore. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a long uh, time the bikini, ago. The bikini came before the miniskirt. Yeah, that's great. That's right, that's right. That's right. Don't ask me how I know that. So, Philip mobilizes the army. Uh, they descend on the town of Agnani. Uh, this is where the Pope was summering. Think of it... 
less of a like less of a mansion and more uh, of an actual got, fortified city. I just yeah. got a mental image of our Benedict just in a speedo at the age of seven hundred and fifteen. If I want to see a pope in a speedo, <laughs> damn it, it's going to be the young pope. I. <laughs> See, here's the downside to whatever Boniface is doing, is that Italy is really close to France. Yeah, they touch. <laughs> uh, and again, that's it, so he's he's basically on vacation in a, in a giant fortress. Like, it's it, it has walls roughly the same size as the Vatican. Um, so the citizenry just let the army in. They just let him in. They weren't really crazy. Most of them weren't really crazy about Boniface. And well, what are again, they do? Yeah, again, there's not... And this isn't a full army. This is a lot of armed men. And maybe it could be 40. It could, it's uh, less than 100. Um, led by Nogare and one of the... Uh, Giacomo Colonna. Uh, they captured Boniface. And now, according to history, and this is kind of a, a murky point, they slapped the Pope. Nogare claims he did, probably didn't. Colonna said that he did, again, probably didn't. Probably didn't slap the Pope while he was on the throne, tell him he wasn't the Pope anymore. But, like, maybe. But most historians say they didn't. But he was, he was arrested. But to Sorry, see somebody no. kick in the door, walk up, and slap the Pope. I am admittedly struggling <laughs> with the term slap the Pope. Because that just does sound like something you walk in on your teenage son doing. Let's go. Uh, he is jailed. Now that you got your wrist back, huh? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Give the right hand a break. I'm starting to look like a fiddler crab. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you can't switch even eat up. shellfish. Oh. That's ironic, isn't it? Uh, the Pope is jailed and beaten for three days. Uh, Colonna just wanted him simply to be stabbed. Uh, Nogre actually followed the king's orders, which were to to apprehend him, which is bizarre because, as we'll talk about later, uh, Philip really wasn't too keen on this. And I think the reason why he wanted him to be apprehended is he wanted a trial, uh, which he doesn't really get uh, because the citizens do eventually, like, march on the palace and chase away the invaders. Yeah, uh, They kind of rescue the pope. I guess he's in pretty bad shape. Uh, he is returned to Rome and the Orsini family, uh, one of few families that is, is now, was he still loyal. An old man, middle aged. He like, would be. He. I mean, for the time, he would be up there. He would be. When was he born? It would be. He's nearly seventy at this uh, point. I mean, that's. Yeah, that's pretty up there for. For this day. For you know, early fourteenth century. Or I'm sorry, no, he would be. Yeah, he would be in his mid to late sixties, which again. Uh, he was sickly. He had a gout. He was like loaded with kidney stones. Uh, his official cause of death is kidney stones. Uh, it doesn't say anything about the fact that he was starved and beaten savagely for oh, three yeah. days by a bunch of angry French guys and a bunch of dudes, like a couple of Italian guys who really hated him a lot. Yeah. Now, there, uh, there who are, he also there are had beaten. There are stories that he was suffering from a fever so bad that it sent him into a complete state of. Like and crazed it, delirium, and it, it sounds to me like the fever that he was suffering from were, was a result of internal injuries, and it, yeah. even it could be kidney stones. Like if they could have jarred one loose, an internal infection, you can go, you can go septic. As somebody who yeah. has had uh, kidney stones and infection therein, it sucks really fucking bad. Yep. And this is whenever you know, whenever you're sick, they're just letting some of your blood out. <laughs> or in the case of George Washington, basically all of it. And that, that was almost 500 years after this. Um, it's, it's, it's great, though, that we're talking about all these terrible health problems that these popes had and 
we are arguably doing worse. <laughs> the yeah, last but, few weeks. but and surviving. Yeah, I was going to say, but we're surviving. <laughs> yeah, but nobody's going to put us in charge of the Catholic Church, are they? Not after this episode. We don't have the money to buy our way into this, like most of the popes we're going to talk about. We have our avenue. His name is Michael Arnett. Yeah, but that whole sex cult thing we started ain't going to help us. Uh, That's a good point. Blessed be the holy tripod. (laughs) Uh, Philip uh, ultimately holds a posthumous trial for Boniface. (laughs) Um, it's not just because he wants him removed from the annals of like papal history. He wants his bones so that he can destroy them. It is such a colossal fuck you, and we'll, we, we will talk about that a little bit later. He wants his bones <laughs> so that he can destroy them. Uh, this is like, you know, a series of puppet popes are installed after this. Um, it's tough really to pick kind of the legacy here. Is it the man's clouded judgment of his just unbridled hatred for the Colonna family <laughs> or underestimating that Prince Philip was super good at like forgery <laughs> intimidation. And the ghost just opened the door. Like just violence toward the outside did just open. Uh, yeah, it wasn't completely closed. That's okay. It's hot in here. I was making a lot of pizzas today. I have to feed you. We're in a kitchen. Did, did Boniface hear us? It could have been. Spooky. I mean, I'm kind of on his side for most of this. If, any, if anybody's going to be pissed off, it's going to be Phil. <laughs> I mean, minus the whole I'm in charge of everybody everywhere at all times and nobody can say shit about it. Uh, he had that Pope money. Player respects game. Right. He that had the Pope true. money. Meanwhile, Dante's going, damn it, who let him out? <laughs> <laughs> Dante's hot on his heels. Yeah, you know what, Kyle? You make a very good point. I forgot about that game respect game line in the New Testament. <laughs> Ah, different guy. <laughs> different, you know how the testaments work. But yeah, that's uh, that's our boy, Benedetto Boniface VIII. Quite a character. I'm a big fan. <laughs> big fan. I always like that he replaced a guy who was like, you know what? I think the Pope should be allowed to quit whenever he wants. And they're like, yeah, that seems fair. And then he just quit. <laughs> Maybe and then they weren't that happy when he like, quit. It was a week. It was one week to the day. <laughs> So, like, we really couldn't do much of a Celestine one because he was like, ah, God, being a Pope sucks he a lot. Could, he didn't even give a two weeks notice. I mean, what? <laughs> he was quiet quitting. Yeah. Now, I fully believe that uh, not just Popes, but podcasters should have the right to quit well, when they want. But we're not going to quit. We're just going to take a short break. We'll be right back, everybody. Tired of listening to whiskey tubers talk about whiskeys you'll never see? Want to hear reviews about whiskeys you can actually afford? How about something you can truly find on the shelf? Are you looking for honest, unbiased feedback about the whiskeys in your budget? Then join us on YouTube at Thrifty Whiskey. Here at Thrifty Whiskey, we do blind tastings of whiskeys that are $30 and under. Bourbon. Scotch. Irish. Indian. And even Canadian. So catch us at Thrifty Whiskey. And until then, may the winds of fortune sail you. May you sail a gentle sea. May it always be the other guy who said, this drink's on me. And welcome back. We're going to kick off the second half by handing it over to Alter Boy Kyle. Ooh. <laughs> that, that uh, looking a... mighty cute in that robe. <laughs> oh, oh, God, yes. That, that <laughs> job was a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, no. You <laughs> killed... You killed Chris. Are you happy, oh. Keith? Oh, Jesus Christ. Anyway. Join us next week for... I, ex- <laughs> I, I expect that from, like, anyone but Keith. 
He's he's the best of us. <laughs> he was. <laughs> I I'm I'm I just I I give up. Kyle, just tell us about fucking just, Benedict just tonight. <laughs> yeah, go uh, ahead. Yeah, Kyle just, talk about fucking Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> Slower, Kyle. <laughs> Better put down another mark for incest. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Well, maybe. That's why I asked that question earlier. All right, so I'm going to start with our second quote of the evening from Ferdinand Gregorovius. Gregorovius. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you practiced. <laughs> On the break, and then <laughs> sodomy oh. jokes. You have a whole script written. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even. I'm trying to take a note of that, and I just don't know what to write. Every so time we take gonna. a break, we're just ruined. Oh. It seemed as if a demon from hell, in the disguise of a priest, occupied the chair of Peter and profaned the sacred mysteries of religion by his insolent courses. So we're starting strong. Sweet. I like this. That's a good prose. Benedict IX, born Theophylactus in 1012, was the son of Count Albert III of. Tuluscum. I remember taking Theophylactus for a few weeks after <laughs> I uh, met a girl I shouldn't have. It sounds like a character from Dune. <laughs> Duncan Theophylactus. <laughs> I'm going to make the coolest guy in the universe, and his name's Duncan Idaho. <laughs> so, by way of his father's significant political and financial influence in Rome, and in no s- small part to his direct relation to multiple prior popes, he was the nephew of Benedict VIII, and as we mentioned, John Twelfth. Grandnephew of John the, or I'm sorry, John the Fourteenth. Grandnephew of John the Twelfth. Great grandnephew of John the Ninth or Eleventh, excuse me, to name a few. Benedict would become potentially the youngest pope in history, most likely in his twenties, but by some reports as early as twelve, as well as the third consecutive. Yeah, yeah, it's messed up. As well as the third consecutive and they, uh, they were, Tuliscum Pope. They were pissed off about about the young Pope being too young in the show, The Young Pope. And he's, what, 50? Jude Law? <laughs> this kid was 12. And you're just giving him was, the Vatican. It was probably mid-20s, as you'll see a lot of this stuff with this guy's exaggerated. Uh, Benedict's first of three pontificates began in 1032. Hold on. First of... He was the uh, 145th, 147th, and 150th Pope. So his you know you papacy get... was like Michael Jordan's basketball career. Yeah, except this guy didn't play baseball. Mm. We uh, don't know that. We don't know that. He may have. He may have invented it. It could have. You got me there. <laughs> He's you... from Cooperstown. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is, I'm sorry, Kyle. Talk more about your Nepo baby. I mean, he. he, he I mean, yeah, for sure, you yeah. just rattled yeah. off like four popes Nail he was related to. Uh, having ascended the position through nepotism and bribery, Benedict quickly took to ignoring his responsibilities to the church and the city of Rome. Specifics from this period are lacking, but not accusations. Pope Victor III, writing in his third book of dialogues, makes note of his, get ready with the list, rapes, murders, and other unspeakable acts of violence and sodomy. His life as a pope. Hold on, so- slow down. Let the man write. Uh, yeah. Rape is a new one. Rape's a new, and I'm going to give it its own. Rape king. <laughs> Murders. 
Uh, yeah, I got murder in here. Murder's sodomy? You got sodomy? Oh, <laughs> did I get oh, sodomy, Kyle? Of course. What, what we're does, three for three. Yes, I got sodomy. What does other acts fall under, though? <laughs> uh, they did that a lot. They, they yada, yeah. yada, yada their way through a lot of yeah. grotesque <laughs> crimes. Magic? Was magic? Maybe? <laughs> There's no, no magic. No magic. No uh, gathering. No magic. We might add some more before this is done. Yeah, I think Simony is going to come into play here. Maybe. Spoiler I mean, are, are we going with. Are we calling bribery simony the same thing? This one yeah. would definitely be simony. Because I, 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 it, it goes that way. Yeah. But I don't know initially, like, why else would you be bribing people? Po- what, really, what else are you going to offer We'll get people? into it. Let's hear the story. <laughs> we may need a little more information before yeah. we make a determination there. His life as a pope was so vile, so foul, so excretable that I shudder to think of it. Sweet. Uh, Benedict's reign take... take uh, Benedict's reign uh, comes at the tail end of the... Pornocracy. (laughs) Rule of harlots. Let's go. Beginning. uh, Benedict couldn't be bothered by the needs of the church or state. Hedonistic to a level exceptional even by the standards of his predecessors, Benedict was accused of hosting orgies, committing sodomy, embracing homosexuality, and even bestiality. Ooh, that's one. That's an. I'm writing that one down. His behavior, unsurprisingly, sat politically with many in the church. In 1036, he was briefly forced to flee Rome after an attempt on his life, likely orchestrated by rival bishops. But he would quickly return to the seat in 1038 with the support of his friend German Emperor Conrad II. Conrad, however, dies in 1039, denying Benedict his most powerful supporter. September of 1044, an uprising among the Roman people themselves breaks out into fractional violence, and Benedict must again flee for his safety. At this time, Sylvester III is placed in the papacy, uh, probably through some sort of an election, but the title anti-pope gets thrown around a lot. Some think Benedict well, is still it, the rightful pope in this case, but yeah, if, Sylvester every, is on the official Vatican papal list at this point. It's every, weird when the bull pope, came out talking about 2,000 mules. <laughs> <laughs> every, pope, every pope is technically elected. It's the legitimacy might be the yeah. concern, but like there, there is an election. And again, uh, antipope, uh, anybody here at the Latin antipapa. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a person, Ooh, I'm hungry now. A person who makes significant and substantial attempt to occupy the position of Bishop of Rome and leader of the Catholic church in opposition to the legitimately elected Pope that, I mean, yeah, 2000 yeah. years. I, uh, it's, and I think, yeah, every Pope was elected who elected them. Changes right. over over the centuries. It goes from well, for example, with uh, John the Twelfth, it was the the Lords of Rome. Then it becomes the College of Cardinals, which, as we see it today, but yeah, that does evolve. And well, shift. and in, in these years, appointment and election can can blur, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll see. Uh, the powerful families of Italy, we forgot about them. <laughs> <laughs> All the judges on Vatican's Got Talent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2000 the mule. Oh. <laughs> I'm just going to start laughing about that. Do a mille. Do a mille a chooch. Mamma mia. In April of the following year, Benedict is able to rally support once again. Welcome, Kyle, to my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is committed to a bit again. Oh, no. <laughs> Benedict is able to rally support once again and force Sylvester into exile. However, this second reign would be incredibly short. Exit. Stage right. Oh, no, that's Top Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Top Cat <laughs> reference? No, what am I thinking of? Ah, fuck it. Anyway. Heavens to Margatroyd. That's, <laughs> yes. That's Top Cat, right? Uh, yeah. Eh. Oh, yeah. We found a new bit, Kyle. Good Top luck. Top Cat reference. 
Cats. Didn't Top Gun get canceled? I don't know. Probably. I know the skunk did, but that was pretty fucked up. Oh, the skunk <laughs> did get. He was canceled. kissing up on that cat just because she was uh, like got caught under a fence. Like, come on, bro. <laughs> Fuck you. Is that like <laughs> is fuck it, that skunk? Is, is that man. the alley cat equivalent of a washing machine? Yes. <laughs> We, we, we here at Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades support skunks that practice active and affirmative consent. Yeah, consent is sexy. Fuck that skunk. He got excommunicated Hot with the rest take. of the French. Hot take. No to and, rape skunks. Yeah, was, how is that hot? Probably like, <laughs> shouldn't rape people. Kyle's like, whoa, 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 brother. <laughs> Although the wokes are at it again. <laughs> Of yours, woke moralists. The, the official state mammal of the Florida is now the skunk. It's rape skunk. A real Joe Brandon over here. Benedict had the sense to realize his grip. I love it. You're just like soldiering through it now. I respect it. Oh, the little, sorry, the little engine that could. Right. Unlike right. me, Benedict had the sense to realize his grip on the seat of Paul was tenuous. He recognized his own unpopularity among the people of Rome and had grown a desire to, get ready for the maybe checklist, marry his cousin. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> it's, just, it's on there, sorry, but that's what it is. <laughs> At the insistence of his future father-in-law, uh, who sought to see Benedict step down, Benedict... Who, well, hold on, future father-in-law is in his uncle? Yep, yep. Okay. <laughs> Uncle yeah. Dad. Uncle Dad. <laughs> I'm my own grandpa. <laughs> Tom Arnold in the stupid. No, no, he, he's just, he's Kyle doing the math here. New Mexico, 2000, 2000. Meals. I went to a scout ranch. Oh, and, Jesus God, no, I'm not ready for this. And some like podunk country oh. band sang that song. That is so much more innocent of a story than I thought it was going to be. Me too. <laughs> for, for the thousand yard stare that popped up in your eye, I thought you were having a trauma response. <laughs> it's like, and let me go ahead and pause the whole, the whole boxing. No, no. Wow. Dodged a bullet on that one. Kyle, you're safe here. We just want you to know that. I appreciate it. There's a couple people who just love the hell out of you, Kyle. Who wasn't safe was Benedict's cousin. Uh, at the, so his <laughs> uncle. Uh, basically says, you're a bad pope. If you want to marry uh, your cousin, we have to make it legitimate and you have to step down from the papacy. Uh, Benedict takes counsel at this point with an individual named John Gratian, uh, his godfather. <laughs> Marrying your cousin's fine. You just have to quit your job. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's There's a give and take here. <laughs> So, Gratian uh, was a, an actually quite pious priest, uh, well-respected at the time, uh, and had the sense to realize also that Benedict was a god-awful pope. Uh, so, Benedict offers to relinquish the papacy to Gratian with an asterisk. He wants payment, direct compensation. Gratian sees this as, yeah, what it is, simony, but the opportunity to support the church... By getting rid of a horrific pope, he 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 takes the offer. Uh, he pays out what is justified as a reimbursement of election expenses to Benedict, estimated at about a thousand pounds of gold, which were taken from the coffers of English donations. Uh, a rough estimate today would be about twenty million dollars. That's a lot of quat loose. Uh, Benedict, unsurprisingly, accepted the offer, left Rome, and Gratian himself becomes the next pope, Gregory the Sixth. 
how much did Grayson earn? Sorry, bad one. <laughs> you know, I like how we all just turn to you like explain yourself. A Grecian urn. Get it? Yeah, we got it. No. Anyway. <laughs> Stick to the dick jokes, Keith. Let's yeah. try to keep it professional. <laughs> so who didn't get it was Benedict who changed his mind again. July 1046, his marriage is collapsing. He lost the taste for civilian life and revokes his resignation and attempts to retake his position. Gregory VI refuses to step aside. Sylvester, the pseudo-antipope uh, in exile at this time, uh, also lays his claim, and there's a full-blown Catholic crisis. At the request of influential clergy, the German Roman Emperor Henry III intervenes at the Council of Sutri in December of 1046. Sorry, but full-blown Catholic crisis is also what we call it when Mike gets too drunk during an episode. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> This is why you have to do the scripts, because you're a chaos monster. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm free, baby. <laughs> the he shackles are off, He unfettered, Kyle. Gregory and Sylvester... Look at were, me. Look at me. No. <laughs> I'm the problem now. <laughs> Just read it, word jockey. Make with it. Gregory and Sylvester were pushed to abdicate, and Benedict was formally deposed because he refused to show up. A German, Clement II, was chosen to lead the church, chosen by Henry III. So in this case, there was no proper election. It was an appointment. Uh, but then dies the following October. Benedict, who refused to take part in the council or accept legitimacy of deposition, bribed his way to power in a rigged election and starts his third and final papal term. I just like that he's not hanging him up. I've decided to take my talent to South Beach. <laughs> As with the second, this would be very short-lived. Benedict was driven from Rome in July of 1048 by the returned German forces of Henry III, replaced by the allied Demius II, uh, who died also shortly thereafter. Uh, some blame uh, that on a poisoning at the hands of Benedict, but that seems like it's complete conjecture. Uh, formal charges of simony were brought against Benedict, though he once again refused to recognize the proceedings. He was excommunicated in 1049 and lived out the rest of his life in relative peace at the Abbey of, of Grata Ferrata. In the twilight years of his life, he was said to have found penance, and though unconfirmed, it's likely that Leo IX lifted his excommunication and restored his place in the faith uh, in 1056 when he died. So, so he was excommunicated, but he was still allowed to go live in an abbey. It was an abbey aligned with the family. Oh, okay. Don't forget he was ridiculously wealthy even before the $20 million payout. That's a very good point. Uh, he apparently got very close to the abbot. Um, some reports say that they worked together. He found his conscience in the later days of life and died, uh, welcomed back into the faith. Hey, you all got a couch I can stay on. Pretty much. Uh, well, there's little doubt Benedict was a properly awful pope, one who didn't hesitate to use wealth, heritage, corruption, and position to pursue his personal goals and desires at the expense of the institution he was tasked with guiding and protecting. Some of his more colorful sins must be taken with a bit of a grain of salt. A uh, few specific accusations exist before he, was before he discredited himself through selling his position. The office itself was in disrepair from years of corruption, and the public at large was turning against uh, Tuliskan hegemony. With your guy, there's just... 
so much yeah. corruption with this one particular particular uh, aristocratic fa- uh, family that you know there wasn't a lot of faith left in the institution. Uh, Reginald Lane Poole believes Benedict to be a negligent pope and very likely a profligate man, while also making note that the modern picture we have of him comes from a time when his opposition had risen to power and no friends were left to defend him. Mm. He was bad. He was real bad. He probably wasn't quite the dog fucking monster that his opponents implied at the time. You don't know that. I don't. <laughs> Boy, what what a claim, Kyle. So that is the story of Benedict the Ninth. Yeah. Alleged what did you call it? An, an, <laughs> alleged dog fucker, I believe it was. <laughs> All right, before we move on, uh, let's go back to the scoreboard. Uh, sodomy is still in the lead a tie for the lead with three. Uh, simony three, incest three. Uh, murder two, authority two, theft one, rape one, bestiality one, and magic one. So, uh, Keith, you got a lot of catching up to do here, pal. Yeah, you do. And we are going to pass it over to you for the story of Formosus and Stephen the Sixth. Come on, bestiality. Cover. Cover. <laughs> <laughs> I took that one at a minus three. The we, Naughty we Popes probably... brought to you by FanDuel. Also, before... before <laughs> Before I actually get it get it on here, um, sure it wasn't. Are we calling abuse of papal authority? Or we know was that was did that ever come up? Or are they too busy worried about him and you know the barnyard stuff? There's actually very little information about what he did in the official role as pope. It seems like the overwhelming majority of his time being a twenty something from money was to drink and fuck his way through Rome. So they seem well, a little more concerned about it, livestock misadventures. That probably came in under other. Yeah. And the thing <laughs> is, like, I have a hard time in, in what we've been doing here, kind of splitting up rivalry from simony, because, like, whenever you're Pope and somebody offers you a yeah. bunch of money for something, you've really got the one thing that they want, and that's the appointment. So the bribes you're accepting, it's for that. They want to be in that, they want to be under that umbrella. So I, I think bribery and simony are. are pretty much going to be one in the same here. I don't think we're going to see one without the other. I, I just so, think these are going to fall under so the same blanket. Simony here. is the act of uh, bribery in order to achieve uh, church offices or roles. So but that's, it is I mean, bribery that's what, for a specific but purpose. I, I think that's what people are really going to yeah. want. Because I can't see somebody giving the Pope money to like turn a blind eye. And say, hey, can I have a job? So that you can turn a blind eye. It's they're going to want an office or a position or a title or whatever may come with that, just so that they can I don't know barnyard stuff. <laughs> like just throwing that out there. Or like so I found our can, episode title. Or so that they can just <laughs> oh, do <on>. magic <laughs> without Johnny Law breathing down their neck. <laughs> Fucking feds. Keith, Keith, can you start your story so we can start t- stop talking about barnyard stuff? I hope. Hey, bear fucker. <laughs> uh, nay. <laughs> Keith, you don't even have to go now if you don't want. <laughs> Rob took the took the headset off. He's just like, oh, that's it. That's it. He's done. He's gone. <laughs> Just you want to go outside and just I like, am now take podcast host emeritus. <laughs> you got to take five here, Rob. Just go ahead. I'll go I'll ahead. take this. I got to hear what you got on mine. 
Oh God! All right, I've had a I've had a lie down. I've calmed down, <laughs> Keith. Over to you. Okay, so the decade of the eight ninety to nine hundreds was really a dark period in Europe's history. Vikings are invading Britain to the north. The Moors have a strong foothold in Spain, but their power is weakening. Muslims are encroaching on Rome and strengthening their armies to attack Italy. Guido the Third, or Guy the Third, <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's too easy. <laughs> It's too easy. Just softball them. Just softball. Come on, Keith. Just make up a name. Nobody reads this shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's vying for the now vacant throne of the Holy Roman Empire, a position that can only be sanctioned by the current pope. And during this time, the pope seemed to be leaving the throne, usually by suspicious causes, as quickly as they are elected. These popes, at best, are puppets to the strongest rulers of the Italian city-states, or the robber barons, and most likely had their elections rigged. Pope Formosus, the longest seated pope of this decade, held the throne for a whopping... (laughs) (laughs) Tremendous. Held the throne for a whopping five years, from 891 to 896, and he managed to further dissolve the political climate of the Holy Roman Empire before his death in 896 of unnatural causes. During his reign, under the strong arm of Guido III, he crowned Guido as Holy Roman Emperor in 891. In 892, Guido again coerced him to also crown his son as co-Holy Roman Emperor. Then in 896, after begging for support from Arnulf, he crowned him Holy Roman Emperor, not trusting Guido and Lambert. Assistant to the Undersecretary of the Holy Roman Emperor. It's more like Oprah at this point. You get a crown. You get a crown. You Look under your seat. You get a crown. Everybody gets one. In April of 896, Formosus was found dead. Most likely by Guido and or Lambert or their minions. Uh, and quickly, Boniface was elected Pope. And... Just as soon as he got his mitre on his head, he died of the gout. His reign lasted a mere 15 days. Jesus Christ, how fucking bad was his gout? (laughs) I know people that have gout. They're just like, fuck, I work with some of them. (laughs) Good God. Maybe they were on a concrete tower, saw the sign gout sex. I (laughs) I can hear my foot ticking. Good God. <laughs> so now we have Stephen VI, who becomes the hero of our story. He's just I feel as, like that's a loose term. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's just as quickly elected. So now it's April of 896, and we're on our third pope of the year. Oh, so they're like British prime ministers. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, we had a pope die in April, a pope get elected in April, die in April, and another, now another pope elected in April. Totally outlasted by that head of lettuce, too. (laughs) 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 And it's very much assumed that Stephen VI, and we can pretty much say not assumed, is also the puppet of Lambert, who's now entrenched in a war for the Holy Roman throne with Arnoff. Guy apparently died. Uh, Stephen, no, not Guy, <laughs> not, not Guido. <laughs> yeah, Guy. Where, where are we going to find another Guido in Italy? 
That's casual racism. <laughs> yeah, but it's against the Italians. It's That's true. Doesn't count. <laughs> I'm sure that they'll just find some guy to step in. Um, oh God damn it! Keith, <laughs> knock it off. <laughs> so Stephen decides that it's best to eradicate all papal proceedings of Formosus. And what better way to do so than to find Formosus guilty of breaking papal law? We could probably put that one down. That's in there. Yep. I think that's technically the first like actual one of that. Are we calling that like papal th- abuse of papal authority? I eh. think so. I think I I think it's in just going to be a string of laws that in are, the interest of keeping it competitive. Yeah. yeah. I think papal law is just a vague term, and there's going to be an actual list of papal laws, specific papal laws that. But he the, the one problem with this system we develop is if there is a tie, I'm going to have to do some. Research on the fly to come up with a winner. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry, we got a four-way tie for first, as it stands right now. Okay, so <laughs> in order to find Just Formosus like death match of those crimes, <laughs> for, for in order to find Formosus guilty of breaking any papal law, you have to prove guilt, and in order to prove guilt, there has to be a trial. So now we have another posthumous trial. Is it going to work, though? Because the guy's dead and buried, I well, would assume, because I mean, there we was... Had, well, we he's had dead. Another, we had another posthumous <laughs> trial that... that yeah. But he worked. wasn't in so, it. So, yeah, that's where this one gets a little more interesting. So, in August of 896, so this is, what, five, six months now? April, May, June, July, August. Yeah, five months. Uh, the body of Formosus is exhumed. Hold on. Oh no, he goes to trial. <laughs> Barnabas didn't have to. He was just he was just in the Vatican hanging out in the basement. This is like, they left them there. They, this is yeah. This is the darkest weekend at Bernie's direct the DVD sequel I've ever heard of. Oh, it gets better. Weekend at Bernardis's. <laughs> so Pope Formosus is exhumed, dressed in pontifical attire. Seated in the papal throne, and he must defend himself against the charges that are brought against him. They just created a ghost cover art out. How do you plead? (sighs) That is the most... Chris just showed me a picture. That is the most metal thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It'll be up on the socials. Keith sent this one over. That's incredible. Oh, my God. I might put up a picture of that hot Philip. Fuck it. A tattoo that I'm like back. That painting is actually called Stephen the Sixth and Formosus. So this is fun. <laughs> so I'm rooting for the skeleton. <laughs> Formosus is being charged with gaining the papacy illegally. Simony. Mm, is it? Mm. Is it though? Did he pay for it? I just, the only thing I saw was illegal assumption of the throne. I think it was That might be a new one. That might be a new one. Yeah, I think it was because he was strong-armed into the position through uh, Guido and Lambert. (laughs) These all just sound like... Guido and Lambert sound like the world's worst curling team. (laughs) It sounds like like the first draft of a Scorsese. (laughs) Guido's too on the nose. We're getting rid of that. And now you can't leave. (laughs) (laughs) 
So we have gaining the papacy illegally. This is a new one. Providing over multiple dioceses simultaneously. Uh, Isn't that like the whole point of being the Pope? I. But if you illegally gained yeah. the throne. Yeah, if it, this is no, what is it? Yes with an if, no with a but. Huh. Yeah, because they're basically saying you're not the Pope. That's why your skeleton's on trial here. Yeah. It's like some <laughs> kind of primitive antitrust law. I like that. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, we're going to get you for stealing a car, but you're obviously not driving slow if you steal a car, so we're going to get you for speeding, too. Man, if this is the only charge they find yeah. him guilty on, this is like them getting Capone on tax fraud. <laughs> oh, no, there's another one. This is this one I absolutely love, considering it's a skeleton on trial. He's charged with perjury. Wait a minute. So the skeleton <laughs> lied under oath. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> we find you guilty on one count of perjury and four counts of being a skeleton. Its so, response is just clock, 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 order, order. This guy's just sitting there. <laughs> Jaw just falls off. So, how does a skeleton get charged with perjury? How does a skeleton get charged with perjury? What Keith? a fucking lawyer, man! <laughs> <laughs> the voice of Formosus was provided by a deacon who stood beside the rotting. <laughs> Corpse. Hold on. They had, an they had a guy play him. Yes. Vatican voiceover artist. Yes. yes. It was, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what we're saying. I, I couldn't find. So I had uh, I had multiple sources on this and I couldn't quite tell. They kind of conflicted. It was either Deacon Geppetto or Deacon Dunham. I'm going with the first one just because it's funnier. Yeah. I mean, it is a puppet story. <laughs> So Geppetto's not uh, not exactly up too far out there. God, I can't wait the sequel for Del Toro's Pinocchio with the <laughs> skeleton in Geppetto. If anybody's going to make that movie, it's him. And then the skeleton fucks that girl, and they win Best Picture. That movie and, is great, though. I love that movie. And here's where the perjury came in. Uh, I'm not a puppet, Pope. I'm a real boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> he said he wasn't lying under oath, and his nose got really big. Well, there's no nose because he has no flesh. Yeah, he just grew a nose. That's some heavy lying. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, just... This is... Imagine not knowing this is happening and walking into the room. <laughs> I'm mad every church in the country doesn't have a stained glass of this. <laughs> I really thought I was going to be less of a fan of the Catholic Church after this episode, but I'm honestly I'm, I'm coming around. This this I think could have been a Norwegian black metal Man, album. Mike's going to have some explaining to do yeah. when he gets back. <laughs> We're going to put him, put him or his skeleton on trial. Yep. <laughs> now uh, that's a Patreon episode. So there is a complete and total surprise in this trial with the uh, voiceover puppet corpse. The skeleton stands up and just slaps the Pope across the face. I, I mean, I, I'm totally amazed by this, but Formosus was found guilty on all charges. Shocking. Mm. Including the perjury. <laughs> so, as his punishment, the corpse was unceremoniously stripped of the robes that were unceremoniously provided for him. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he was stricken from the history of the papal lines. All of his edicts were disallowed, including the crowning of Arnulf and Lambert. So now we have no Holy Roman Emperor. But that's okay because Lambert gets reinstated almost immediately by Stephen. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the three fingers that the popes use for blessing their subjects and other clergy, those were broken off of the corpse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Trial's over. Get me a set of bolt cutters. <laughs> and then the body was dumped into the Tiber River only to wash up on shore a few weeks later. <laughs> he came back. <laughs> which, Papa's back. <laughs> which caused some consternance um, among the holy Catholics in, in the area. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, because now this is a miracle. The corpse has come back to shore. <laughs> Maybe he really is the Pope. You, you, you know it, how he might have actually sunk into the river? If, see, if, if he had some fucking flesh on him! <laughs> or the robes. Yeah, robes might have held These him down. Big-ass robes. Or those three fingers. Might he have said Skeletor Pope enough. comes back. Yeah. I mean, Probably we, so good at bowling. So... <laughs> At this point, the corpse washes back up onto the river, and it's a miracle the Pope has returned. Perhaps he was Pope in the first place. Um, so the, peop the Catholics of Italy were infuriated at Stephen's actions at this time. Riots ensue. Many people claim that Formosus was a true saint and that his body on the shore became a pilgrimage site and many swore that it could perform other miracles such as healing. Um, Stephen eventually became a victim of the crowds, was deposed of the papal throne by the people, and tossed in prison. Um, oddly enough, the security cameras malfunctioned and he was found hanged in his cell. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> shortly after that, um, by the next pope. Oh, and this was all by 897, January of 897. So this all took place in like two to three months. Yeah, Stephen, Stephen didn't even hold the throne for a full year himself. So now it's 897 and we're going into pope number four. Shortly after, Formosus was reinstated into the papal annals, and his body was retrieved from the shores of the river and buried at St. Peter's. And Hold on. the skeleton pope reigned for 200 years. <laughs> there was a bountiful harvest and much rejoicing. I just want to know if they held auditions for the guy who was supposed to be the voice of the dead pope. <laughs> and, he gets, and they picked the wrong one. He gets charged with perjury. <laughs> Hi, my... my Hi, my name is Father Agastus. I'm here to read for the part of Formosus. <laughs> Here's my headshot and resume. Incredible. Incredible. I'm picturing the papal Cadbury Easter bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I was told this was a non-equity audition. Uh, will I get my SAG card from this? That is... That I just... It, it, it just... That is... 
like I said, just imagine walking in and asking for an explanation. And I got to tell you, like, there's a there's an act of finality to throwing a body in the river. Normally, like, it's, yeah, yeah. But then it just like, washed right back up a couple days later. It didn't just like they didn't chug it out and just ended back up. Be like, oh, it's a miracle. Like, it was a matter of days. That becomes revered as a saint in the making. <laughs> Thank God that didn't happen to Rasputin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, gentlemen, shall we wrap it up with one more story? Yeah, let's, let's, let's put a, do it. Let's put a pin in this one. Let's do it. Finally, we close with the story of a pope who is neither the most inept, the greediest. Can we get, uh, what's the score? Oh, yeah. I guess uh, mm. we got to go back to the round. scoreboard. Did, did you add necromancy to the list yet? Uh, I'll put that under magic. <laughs> Uh, we what have a four-way tie for first: uh, sodomy, simony, incest, and authority. Uh, well, abuse of papal authority, just the way we drew it up. Uh, two counts of murder, uh, one count of rape, one count of perjury, one count of theft, uh, one count of bestiality, and one count of magic. I just <sighs> this is this is it. This is game five. It is like this is for the the yeah. Pope Division Series, and the next one next was Championship Series, and it's it's the, it's the big one. Then we're on to the playoffs. <laughs> Finally, we close with the story of a Pope who is neither the most inept, the greediest, or got up to the grossest stuff in the bedroom, but is worth talking about because of the sheer amount of weird shit that he got up to, and for possibly being the horniest Pope out there. So much so that he made a decision based on his sex drive that would make shockwaves throughout Christendom and would cause chaos for the church for generations. I'm, uh, I'm calling sodomy right this now. This is big for I'm sodomy. Throwing, it's big down. for sodomy. I'm thrown down for sodomy. Big for sodomy. Now, in the early 14th century, as one of the worst periods in human history dawned, the individual at the head of the Catholic Church was a man who was so horny that he packed up the papacy and moved it. That man was Clement V. Now, Raymond Bertrand de Gauvillandreau was born in Aquitaine in southern France in 1264, the youngest son of a wealthy and pious baron. Oh, now, so this is Pope the Thirsty. Mm. Now, as a spare rather than the heir, he was destined for a life in the church, as so often, in, so often happened in families such as his, and he took to this with aplomb, graduating with a degree in canon law from the University of Orléans at the tender age of 15. And within four years, he had been promoted to a cathedral canon at Bordeaux, then as principal deputy to his older brother Berard, the Archbishop of Lyon. At the age of 24, he was made the Bishop of St. Bertrand de Comminges and a chaplain to Pope Boniface VIII, who Chris talked about, who made him the Archbishop of Bordeaux in 1297, so he had reached a very high rank indeed by his early 30s. Now, things really changed for him when, in 1304, the current Pope, Benedict XI, very suddenly and rudely died. The papal conclave to elect a new pontiff went on without a result for over a year, and the cause of this interregnum was a dispute between the Italian and the French cardinals, who both feared that the other side would use their allegiances to temporal leaders like King Philip IV of France to depose the other side. Now, a variety of names ended up in the hat, and Archbishop Raymond's was one of them, but it took the better part of a year's campaigning and the intercession of King Philip IV of France to convince enough cardinals on both sides of the, dis of the dispute of his intent to remain neutral and favor neither nation. In June of 1305, he was officially elected and crowned Pope Clement V. Now, before his official coronation even took place, Clement showed that his claims of no particular allegiance was horseshit, with his first official act being to create nine new French cardinals fully ensconcing power in their political wing of Catholic leadership. Now, at his official coronation in Lyon, things didn't go incredibly well. As the procession was led through the streets of the city, with Clement's horse being led by Jean II, Duke of Brittany, and a close friend of the new pope, 
So many spectators crowded the aging city walls that a section of the wall crumbled down underneath their weight, and a heap of rubble collapsed on top of the Duke and killed him and several members of the public, with the pile of stones and earth nearly falling on top of Clement, missing him by about a foot. This was going to be a good symbol of what was to come. Now, Clement started by withdrawing two important papal bulls established by his predecessors, one of which outlawed secular rulers taxing the clergy of their realms without express papal permission, and the other, which Chris uh, spoke about, which asserted papal authority over secular kings, aimed in particular at Clement's buddy, Philip IV of France. Now, by doing so... I just want to clarify, papal bulls are not barnyard stuff, right? That does not count as barnyard stuff. Okay. Now, by doing so, Clement has essentially made the papacy an arm of the French government and placed it at the whims of the expansionist French king. Now, everyone expected Clement to move down to Rome eventually, as all previous popes had done, but he remained in France, staying happily ensconced within his home country and under the watchful protection of his buddy, King Phil. However, one upcoming event would solidify Clement's reputation as anything but an independent pope, as on Friday the 13th of October, 1307, Hundreds of members of the Knights Templar, the holy militant order established two centuries before to protect pilgrims journeying to the Holy Land, and now one of the largest international organizations in existence, with huge wealth and control of an elaborate banking system, who were ostensibly a body of the Catholic Church itself, were suddenly and without warning arrested on a variety of charges including usury, credit inflation, fraud, immorality, the abuses of nuns and monks, sodomy, and heresy. And within hours, the trials and executions began. Now, this would go down in folklore as one of the reasons why Friday the 13th is considered unlucky. In reality, Philip IV and his court had fabricated all of the charges in order to seize the French Templar's massive assets and holdings for their own needs, which should be a move that would put him in direct conflict with the Templar's official boss, the Pope. However, Clement barely said boo, and issued a lukewarm statement claiming that the king was such a devout man that if he moved against the Templars, then they surely had been up to no good. Now, throughout that year and the following year, Clement had spent a lot of time and energy trying to rustle up a little crusade to retake the Holy Land, the last Christian outposts of which had fallen to Muslim forces in the late 1290s, but having a feeling that the forces he could raise wouldn't be powerful enough to take on the Turks and the Egyptian Mamluks that ruled the region, Clement tried to arrange a little alliance with the most dreaded military force known to Europeans at the time, the Mongols. Hmm. Now, Clement sent envoys to the great Khan, Oljetu, several times over, asking for an alliance to attack the Muslim realms from two sides. But despite all the effort, the distance and the cultural differences were too great, and the only crusading force that did show up was one that Clement didn't ask for. Over 40,000 unwashed peasants from lands stretching from the north of England to Krakow to Sicily showed up at Avignon, seeking to take up the cross against the foul infidel and earn forgiveness for their sins. Clement was less than enthused about this result and granted them a mass papal indulgence if they would just go away. And go away they did. Right throughout Europe, raiding lands they traveled through for food and supplies <laughs> and making sure to go out of their way to attack several noblemen's armies and as many Jews as they could find. <clears throat> and being of no help to the actual force of professional soldiers who did grow on crusade before time, disease, and distance caused their little expedition to break up, leaving Clement with a lot of fires to put out when thousands of angry petitions reached his desk. Now, 1309 would be a busy year for Clement for two main reasons. The first is that he had a bit of a change of tune. 
Since his accession to the papacy, Clement had pushed off the question of when will he move down to Rome like everyone else, with a, yeah, yeah, look, I'm, I'm busy, I'll get around to it eventually. But in early 1309, he changed his answer to, nah, we're going to keep things permanently at Avignon. What are you going to do about it? And going so far as to issue a papal bull stating that the papacy was under no requirement to be located in Rome, that the papacy was the man, not the city, or the Basilica San Pietro or the Castel Sant'Angelo, and that the central home of the church was wherever he went, claiming that the heart of the church could be in Canterbury or Antwerp if he so desired. The real reason was twofold. Obviously, he sought the protective umbrella of French military power, so being in Avignon was a good way to maintain that. Secondly, it turns out that Clement was something of a horny little devil, and always had been, and had himself a real love for sex workers, and I don't mean advocacy. Now, in private letters, he complained about Rome, claiming that it only had two brothels in the entire city. <laughs> Whereas Avignon, which was about a third of the size of the holy city, had more than 20. Yes, the man uprooted the entire papacy and over a millennia of tradition to make his dick happy. He just said that, you know, it shouldn't be even one place. And he does have a point. Like, the Pope should... The, the Pope is the papacy. Like, it's that guy. And it, who cares? It could be in Canterbury. It could be in Key West. It could be on Fire Island. It could be at the Bunny Ranch. <laughs> yeah, it could be at the Bunny Ranch. It could just be wherever he wants. <laughs> now it could be at that, that weird bar out by the airport. I'm pretty sure they have nun costumes. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Oh, sorry, I got distracted. The papacy has now moved to Bethel Park only when the Tennyson is open. <laughs> <laughs> now, the second major event that he got up to that year was to put his predecessor, Boniface VIII, on trial. But as Chris alluded earlier, the problem was that Boniface was well and truly dead. However, Boniface had excommunicated someone important in 1303, and that had been King Philip IV of France, Pope Clement's boss. The French king, who wanted a measure of revenge leaned on Clement to do his bidding, and as Chris uh, told us, they put Boniface on trial posthumously for heresy, abuse of authority, and sodomy. However, I think we've already counted those. Those are already counted. Those yes, are they in. are. Uh, they also didn't like physically put him on there, which makes it less hilarious than Keith's. Mm -hmm. But this they basically... They could have. There was precedent They could set. have. Yeah, precedent yeah. was set. Yeah. <laughs> but to make a long story short, the whole thing pretty much ended up with Clement pardoning everyone that Boniface had excommunicated, and after two years of hemming and hawing, the Pope, embarrassed by how far this whole thing had gone, exercised one little moment of independence from the French king and punted the thing to a committee, where despite 300 bishops being present to take part, the whole matter just basically flamed out by the end of 1311, and nothing more was heard of it. Now, Clement V was also, in addition to being the gopher of the French king and an absolute horndog, something of a general asshole. He was known for having his servants whipped, imprisoned, and even blinded, or having their fingers cut off without any discernible reason. And he had a nice little habit of kicking and throwing wine in the faces of priests and secretaries who displeased him. I mean, that's one advantage to being on a throne, I suppose, when somebody's kneeling in front of you, their face is at foot level. Part of the reason for the throne. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a design feature. It's not a design flaw. <laughs> yeah. Now, on the 20th of April, 1314, at the age of 50, Clement V died of what appeared to be stomach cancer. As he laid in state at the cathedral at Avignon, a storm blew up in the night, and lightning struck one of the cathedral spires, setting it on fire. The response was slow and ineffective, and soon the entire cathedral, one of France's oldest, was engulfed, and by morning had completely collapsed and was nothing more than a pile of ash 
and charred stones. The intensity of the flames was such, but by the time everything had been extinguished and cooled, the Pope's body was completely obliterated. It must have been a nasty fire, man. Those buildings are not small, and they are not insignificant. Nope. Now, some ashes were collected that were at least claimed to be those of the late pontiff and buried in the collegiate church of Zest, next door to his hometown in Aquitaine. Clement V remains the only pope we know of to be cremated, accidental though it may have, <laughs> accidental though it may have been. His successor, John XXII, would also be a controversial figure, as would quite a few of the pontiffs who ruled during the period known as the Avignon Papacy, which would last a total of 67 years and encompass six or seven popes, all French. Writers like Petrarch would refer to the time as the Babylonian captivity of the papacy, and even after the Pope relocated back to Rome in 1376, there would be a schism that would lead to a whole line of anti-popes, and sometimes as many as five at once, and a conflict that would nearly result in a war that would threaten to drag in the whole of Europe. And we'll see who the real Pope is after a winner-takes-all cage match at this year's SummerSlam. However, that is a story for another time. Certainly, in our lifetimes, the popes appear to have been pretty good boys, even if the most recent Pope Emeritus did have that creepy Nazi gleam in his eye. Well, I mean, we I had mentioned it to Keith, and I remember I was at work. TV's on. I don't remember what time it was local time, but it was around lunchtime here. And me and another guy I work with, we're like wordlessly watching the Pope get onto a helicopter like Nixon and just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and like as it's shown to fly away, because Rome's a very large city, oh, yes. and all the helicopters are just chasing that one, because you got to get the shot. And my buddy looks at me and goes, is this fucked up? <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, this is fucked up. Like, this hasn't happened in hundreds of years. Yeah. He was like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm good. He always had that, that, that look in his eye, that like, we took Poland in 27 days. I mean, Ratzinger. Yeah. Mm. Like, that's a bad guy name. Wasn't it the bad guy from like the Great Mouse Detective? What the fuck was his name? <laughs> Can we Google that? <laughs> Hang on, I, I might not be. I, I know I'm not far off. I don't think I'm right. Is it some? It's got to be some version of Moriarty, isn't it? I'm, I'm looking. Continue. Hang on, I'm looking. I don't want to drag this out too far. <laughs> but we now have to stretch back a pretty fair distance into the past to find a pontiff who was a real piece of work. Sure, the church today has a laundry list of problems it needs to work on, some of them things that should really get up to being handled post-fucking-haste, but at least their leaders haven't... Ha haven't uh, the operative word there is fucking. Yeah. Haven't lived up to the really messed up precedents established by some of their medieval predecessors. Uh, and uh, again, it is uh, Professor Radigan. Ah, That's Professor I was Radigan. Yeah. Uh, by the indomitable Vin uh, Vincent Price. Now, stay oh. tuned in the future for some more stories of some more naughty pontiffs. On behalf of those uh, of us sitting here in the kitchen and our faithful contributors who have added their stories, thanks for listening. In the name of the Robert, the Chris, and the Holy Kyle, amen. In the name of the Archbishop of Butler County, Monsignor Keith Volhop, and our Supreme Pontiff, Pope Michael I of the Church of the Bob Crane Sex Cult, peace be with you, my... Peace be with you, my children. Go forth to serve the word and sin no more. Uh, sorry, I misread that. And sin more.